1: We put the necessary resources around the organization to begin to look at data as an enabler, as a, a warfighting mission capability, and not just something that's there to be accessed, but how do we use it? So now we're beginning to identify how we can properly visualize that data, um, use, utilizing a, a cloud-based platform, um, ensuring that we look at it from the perspective of authoritative data sources, um, divesting where we can without having a, a redundancy in applications. Um, So we've definitely put a lot of rigor to the data governance perspective and looking at architecture from a data perspective uh, without bogging too much down.
0: Welcome back to the Government Huddle podcast, guys. I'm your host, Brian Chidester. As you all know, the public sector is really the industry of industries. There are so many things that organizational missions seek to achieve in sectors like energy, transportation, agriculture and so many more. But when we've looked at digital transformation in the public sector, I think many of us come back to the government employee just working on their computer in an office somewhere. But that's just not always the case. And there's really not a better example of this than the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. This group operates in both the military and civilian realms, whether dredging bases to maintain warship access to bases or looking after the health of dams and levees that protect cities, its information needs match the diversity of its missions. But just like many other government departments, several of their mission critical information systems are nearing the end of their life cycles, and there have been major efforts and initiatives this year to support systems modernization. Among the goals of modernization are better cybersecurity and greater efficiency at deploying new systems, which take two forms. First, on the cyber front, the core aims for zero trust network architectures. And second, on the efficiency front, It wants a system for continuous authority to operate to replace the slow ATO process that federal systems deployments usually have. But ultimately, to sum up what they're really driving towards, the core wants to become a more data-driven organization. They're focused more on enabling master data sources being able to access data in real-time and allowing their senior leaders to make more authoritative decisions with the data. Core leadership, in turn, wants to ensure that operators at all levels can easily access any data relevant to their work. And like nearly every federal organization, the Army Corps of Engineers found itself forced into telework by the pandemic. Add up all these trends, widely distributed VPN capacity, the move towards data orientation, and the mission applications overhaul, it's no wonder that the Corps is also pursuing a hybrid cloud capacity. Recently, I had the opportunity to speak on a panel with the Army Corps of Engineers CIO, Davarius Peoples, and walked away impressed, so I'm really grateful that I have him on our show today as our guest. Devarius has been in his role as CIO since April of 2019, and in this capacity, he serves as the principal advisor to the Corps' commanding general on information technology issues. Prior to this role, he served as the deputy to the commanding general of NETCOM and has also served as the associate CIO at the Office of Personnel Management. Welcome to the show, Devarius. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me. So for those not as familiar with the Army Corps of Engineers, can you tell the listeners what some of the responsibilities are? For the Corps. I know you guys support such a diverse um, set of functions. So, help us understand kind of what some of those functions are.
1: Yeah, so so the Army Corps of Engineers is a is a door reporting uh, agency or has a door reporting mission. We are we are the construction element um, for the for the Department of Defense. We engineer solutions to the nation's toughest challenges. Uh, we also provide a lot of civil uh, civil support to the local states, uh, state and local areas. Um, in areas such as disaster relief, which is a huge mission for the Corps when you think about things such as COVID-19, when you think about things such as Hurricane Katrina and many other areas that we provide a support to, fighting floods, hurricanes, and all types of disaster relief things, working in conjunction with FEMA, um, DHS and FEMA, and and so many others. Uh, Within the Corps of Engineers, we're about 36,000 users um, strong, and uh, we actually are in 55 districts within the United States Uh, nine divisions, and and 123 countries plus. Um, So we have a large footprint, large scale. We are the military construction agent for the Department of Defense also. So we do build uh, things on hospitals, on camps, posts, and stations um, to support all of our our DOD brethren um, at the various outstations. And um, and we have a huge mission in the local areas. Um, We are different and unique than most. Um, We're not on the majority of camp posts and stations, which is slightly different from a DOD unit. Uh, we are in the local areas, downtown in those areas or at field sites from construction sites or, or civil sites where levees, locks, dams and those type of things. So Corps of Engineers is rather unique, uh, do reporting agency to DOD as well as to OMB. Um, so we are we, we do a lot of things to
0: support the nation. Thank you. So you guys are not obviously a typical government workspace right you're not in the office all the time you're you're out in the field a fair amount of of the time how do you support an organization like that that ha- you mentioned a large footprint but it's it's I would say it's a deep footprint and horizontally wide how do you support an organization like that
1: right um, we we have a, a strong footprint with leveraging a lot of remote uh, remote capabilities um, so when you think about a core being that we're not in the in a physical office space a lot of times. Granted, we do have a small footprint in office spaces, but the large majority or vast majority of our work are on a physical field site location. So with that being said, we really have to rely on a lot of modern technology, whether that's Wi-Fi, whether that's VPN, um, LTE cellular, uh, you know, even looking at capabilities such as 5G and so many others. We are truly a, a organization on the front line that's not really tied to a land WAN. Or a local area network or a wide area network in a physical location or space, but more so leveraging things such as Wi-Fi and, and, and technology like that to help us do our, our business. We um, we actually use mobile. We are a mobile organization. Um, so with that being said, using mobility through telephony, using mobility to access mission applications and those type of things, always on the go to be able to do our job. So those are just some of the things that we use from a technology perspective to help us meet the evolving requirements of an organization that is more remote and, and distributed versus being centrally located inside of an office space.
0: As you were describing some of those technologies that you're obviously leveraging, the first thing that pops in my head was this has to be cloud driven, right? Is that, is that really a big part of your strategy?
1: Well, we are we are more of a cloud smart organization versus being cloud ready. So yes, we leverage cloud capabilities, but we leverage cloud capabilities where necessary and when when done smartly, um, because everything doesn't go won't go to the cloud. But we look for applications that are that are that can run in a cloud native uh, setting. Mm-hmm. Um, we also look for for things that will provide us optimization, allow for more modernization, scalability, and as well as provide us with the right cybersecurity. So we run a hybrid cloud environment. Um, because I like to tell the team a lot of times when you think about cloud, you just think about a a physical a physical piece of equipment in a space. Call it a cloud, right? But um, however, there's vendor managed clouds, and then there's government managed cloud environments to give us that encapsulated hybrid cloud architecture. And that's more so of what we uh, we are proponents of inside of USAIDs. We have a hybrid cloud architecture where some things can be managed in a in an equinex or a data center. That's that's co-located with the rest of the what I call the big boys, your Amazon Web Services, as well as your Microsoft Azure's of the world. So that's more so how we operate in a cloud hybrid manner versus just a straight vendor agnostic cloud approach.
0: And and what are some of the benefits that you get from from deploying that hybrid cloud strategy?
1: Well, it, it allows you to be able to leverage some of those applications that may not be. Uh, that may not be optimal or may not where you may not receive optimal performance by putting it inside of a vendor managed type of cloud environment. Um, that, ha- that hybrid construct allows you to be able to effectively integrate uh, the, a lot of your applications, integrate the ecosystems to where everything runs effectively in, in, on one in, in one environment. However, it's an encapsulated cloud because ultimately it's in a hybrid concept. So that's mission performance, mission optimization, are definitely some of the things that you, you some of the benefits you see. You also see financial benefits as well from a cost avoidance perspective um, in, in being able to run that hybrid type of environment also.
0: I know one of the things that has been a key part of your your strategy and the entire strategy at at the core is becoming a more data-driven organization. And access to data is obviously a key factor of that. But what are some of the pieces of this strategy? that you're really looking at uh, throughout the modernization lifecycle when it comes to data?
1: Right. We're looking at cybersecurity is at the forefront. Um, when you think about concepts such as zero trust um, and many other many other modern concepts, uh, being able to take that from a theory perspective to an operas- oper- operational construct, those are some of the things we begin to look at. So how do we protect and properly secure the data? Uh, how do we give those users with the uh that have a need to access it how do we ensure that they can access it securely and how can we share from an interoperability perspective share services perspective Um, those are all the things we look at from data and then we begin to break data down into three areas one being that of the platform the cloud native platform in which that application will run on Uh, we then look at it from a data management data quality aspects of things ensuring that we have the proper controls over that data ensure that it's real time Um, That to help leaders to be able to make informed decisions. And then we look at the visualization component. How do we articulate and display the information and the data in which it is that we are leveraging in order for leaders to to really be informed and really make informed decisions? So those are the three aspects from a data perspective that we begin to look at when we talk about data modernization, data strategy, and and, and the like.
0: What have you seen across other government entities and even when you came into the core, what was what was current state like back when you joined in 2019 and how have how have you been able to hit certain milestones to to bring data to the forefront at this organization?
1: Yeah, I think we I think we knew what data was, but we never really knew how to really articulate it, nor did we really look at it as 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 a weapon system. Um, and I think that's one of the things that the army has done a, a very good job in doing is looking at data as its new weapon system being able to take advantages of the things that having' quality data real-time data that the things that it brings to us um, and one of the things we've done at the core working with with big army um, at, at the headquarters level we've implemented our data governance model our data council model to oversee a lot of or oversee all things data within the core we have a uh, we've hired uh, mr Walton Chung who is our chief data officer? Um, he is responsible for overseeing all of those, uh, all of the capabilities and, and all of our various data platforms, bringing those ecosystems and the worlds together within the Corps of Engineers to really get after that data strategy. Um, we've developed the data strategy and now we're beginning to implement and operate around that data strategy. So we've made leaps and strides in looking at data as a weapon system. However, now we have to operationalize that concept. Construct and move it more from a theology perspective, or or being wowed by the sense of data, but now being able to say I can operationalize that data and, and make informed decisions with it. So we are we are progressively making progress uh, as we go about our, our data journey.
0: Yeah, I remember when I had uh, Paul Puckett on the, uh, and I know you know it, Paul, the director over at ECMA. He the way he characterized it was data is the ammunition of the future war, which I thought was was a really interesting way to take a look at it. And if you're looking at data, one of the things I usually say is data isn't useful, but information is. So when you have the conversation around data, it's really about how can you extract the the bits of insight, bits of information out of that data to make it useful and, and to drive the, the decision-making you're looking to do. So what are some of the ways that you're looking to extract those insights? I mean, is it artificial intelligence or, or other ways? What's happening at the core?
1: Yeah, so, you know, artificial intelligence is just one way that we're beginning to uh, to look at that data. Really, how can we do the analytics portion? So we're working more with the, uh, with the R&D community uh, or, or Ertic, our Enterprise Research Development Center, who's the research arm for, for a lot of the department as well. Um, we are working with them pretty closely to really understand AI, to really begin to try to develop that strategy to operationalize AI and those type of things. Um, It is a new space. Um, However, the analytics portion of that is is very critical. Um, One of the things we've been looking at now working with some of our mission partners is how do we take that core fabric um, from an analytic perspective? And how do we tie that into the core foundational aspects of what we do as we go through our data modernization and journey? So so we don't have all the answers just yet. Um, However, we are working very aggressively. To, uh, to map that plan out, to map our focus and our strategy out, specifically centered around the analytic piece, because ultimately having a strong data management, data analytic component will, uh, will help us be successful as we fight in many different capacities, such as our, our flood fighting that we provide to the nation, whether that's hurricane, disaster relief, disaster management, doing that predictive analysis, predictive maintenance type of things, being able to forecast before something happens so we'll be postured and prepared to respond versus being reactive, being more proactive, um, by leveraging the various components of the analytics that it provides, so we are working to to do that by leaps and strides.
0: To be successful with this strategy, I, obviously adoption is key, and I, I I would imagine within the DoD adoption's a little bit easier, perhaps because it's it's more of an order, less of an ask. And uh, but but obviously in the federal civilian space as well, adoption becomes paramount when you're looking to build a strategy that's successful across an organization what are some of the ways that, that you've been successful in, in driving adoption? Because you, you really need entire buy-in.
1: Yeah, so within the core of Engineers, from an IT perspective, we operate IT just as we would in corporate America. Um, and as you know, in corporate America, you don't make decisions without the corporate body or the stakeholders weighing in, having an influence from a decision side of the house. We as IT professionals are enablers, enablers to the business, enablers to the mission to ensure things move forward. So when you talk about buy-in, the thing is, if, if, if in private industry is earned value management, profit earned, profit loss, you have to be able to show something tangible in order to get something back input and put output. One of the things that the Corps of Engineers, even though we're not a for fee organization, we still are in the business of providing value to the to the organization through the essence of it. So with that being said, our goal is to always be able to show value with every product that we bring in, with every solution that we deliver to the customer base. So again, if it's not bringing value, then we're not in the business of feeling it. So we sit down with our business partners, mission partners in an agile format. We go through what those solutions are, how we're developing them, you know, being able to make adjustments where needed to get their full buy-in. So once a solution is developed and delivered, it's not just the IT team providing you with an IT capability but it's the full essence of USACE, uh, really embracing it. And we look at all aspects. We look at the cost. We look at the uh, the, the benefits, going through the cost analysis breakdown, um, business case analysis breakdown, really doing the back-end details, um, providing the empirical data before we make these decisions, but they're informed, right? They're informed and they're back with, with that type of data to really justify why we're going this route. So when we sit down with the business unit or with our customers or with our other mission stakeholders and partners, we can clearly articulate the benefit of IT. We can show the rigor and the process that we've went through to justify why we're doing what we're doing and ultimately being able to articulate the added value by leveraging a product or a capability based off of the empirical analysis and data that we provide from from, from all of our research and and, and information. So it's a true collective, collaborative approach as to how we feel capabilities within the Corps of Engineers.
0: And I think that's exactly the way it needs to be, right? Um, make it collaborative, make it transparent, and really show that value. I think one of the things that the the Department of Defense has done, especially in the military branch, is really, really well um, with programs like Kessel Run and the Army Software Factory at, at Futures Command, is really understanding what the the mission outcomes are and kind of reverse engineering that to figure out what type of solutions are needed. To to get to that outcome, are you working with uh, like the future Future's Command and Software Factory to build out some of these solutions you mentioned?
1: Um, we haven't actually been super involved in. It. We ha- we are aware of the efforts and in initiatives, um, but as as to say, do we have a application in the Software Factory? Not at the moment, but we are uh, we are intricately watching and 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 looking at what's going on to see where there could be potential um, in the in the future. If, uh, if required, uh, as a part of the one army construct.
0: And that makes sense. Um, so just to pivot a little bit, you, you spoke a little bit about zero trust earlier on. Um, but I know you've built out the, uh, the zero trust playbook for the Corps of Engineers, what, how does that help you deploy a zero trust environment? What are some of the things you're really looking for um, to to make this environment successful? Not only just secure, but obviously allowing contextualized access to this data that that's become so important at, at your organization.
1: Right. So taking the taking the concept from theory to actually implementation, um, that's one of the some of the things we begin to look at is how do we deliver or allow access? Um, the various areas that we provide the the zero trust or we implement the zero trust methodology and framework. Um, also, the training component. Uh, we have put a heavy emphasis on the training component, training users from the technician all the way up to the single level executive, because ultimately, cybersecurity and zero trust are all our responsibilities. But we have really put emphasis on how do we ensure that the users are trained? How do we ensure that c- the community is actually trained? Because, again, most people think zero trust as a technical concept, but actually it is a theory that needs to be practiced throughout all at all levels from Echelon on down inside of an organization in order for it to be successful. So within DOD, we've deployed some aspects, or when you look at how we use CVR, um, some zero trust concepts of of being able to deploy that with the various organizations having access. Um, So within the Corps of Engineers, we have begun to operationally leverage and deploy it using the the OT aspects, the operational technology components um, through our internal control systems and those type of things, because again, one of the core unique missions within the Army Corps of Engineers is our civil mission, where we control a lot of the levees, locks, dams, um, critical mission areas such as hydropower, dredging, and and those type of things where they have what I like to call special technology to, to run that, those pieces of equipment. And with that being said, if something was to happen from a mission perspective, it could be catastrophic when you think about uh, waterways and, and and all those other good things, being able to secure those waterways are very important. So we begin to operationalize the the zero trust methodology and framework through in that construct. And we've also throughout our playbook, uh, we begin to implement all aspects of the playbook into the very fabric of everything it is that we do within the Army Corps of Engineers. I mean, we've had good opportunities to socialize that concept with the federal department as well as with DOD. From the uh, DoD CISOs group all the way to the to, to big army as well to their cybersecurity group also so we are we are continuing to evolve the zero trust concept through our playbook um, and we are continuing to get good feedback as well as good guidance as to how to evolve and mature that concept as we go forward but definitely implementing the the, the aspects of the executive order that came out and yes zero trust was one of those um, so we are looking at all aspects of cybersecurity and we are implementing the um, the various aspects of zero trust in a, in a streamlined methodical approach as we go forward.
0: You said something that, that really resonated with me. You're, you're supporting some of these, these dams, levies, et cetera, that are really, uh, more civil focused. And we just, we just had a few months ago, the, uh, the ransomware attack on the oil pipeline on the East coast. Is there anything that your organization learned from that attack that you could kind of strengthen and harden, uh, your approach to what you're doing, um, within some of these, uh, like, domestic feeders that you're working in?
1: Well, I think we, I think we, as the rest of the federal government, what what we've learned uh, as a whole is really cybersecurity is important. Uh, being able to secure your, your environments, regardless if it's operational technology or information technology, at the end of the day, cybersecurity is, is something that we all must take serious. Um, it is something that we must continue to evolve and, uh, and put in the forefront and ingrain it in the day-to-day fabric for everything that we do.
0: And you've mentioned the importance of kind of shared services models in relation to zero trust. Um, why are those so important to government organizations?
1: Well, I think being able to effectively communicate and collaborate. Within the Army Corps of Engineers, we are, a, we are an organization that's very dependent upon being able to share information. Um, and that means sharing information internal to DOD as well as external to DOD when you look at the dual operating aspects of our mission. Um, so we share a lot of information, whether that's flood, fighting, water samples, or whether that's uh, schematics for 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 construction capabilities and projects or even if it's disaster relief working closely with fema and, and and the team to be able to secure the nation protect the nation as we go through various natural disasters and those type of things having the ability to quickly respond share lessons observed to apply them to be lessons learned as we continue to go forward so those are all of the reasons why shared services are critical being able to share data, share information, and effectively be able to respond in in times of crisis when things happen.
0: And so as we're talking about cybersecurity, I know some of the the programs that you're working on involve IoT or Internet of Things. Um, Security obviously plays a factor, but what are some of the ways that you're deploying IoT across your ecosystem in support of, of some of the missions that you have?
1: Yeah, we're looking at it from different aspects. One being that of the, the network components. Um, you know, how do we ensure networking, uh, traffic that goes through the environment, um, Internet of Things is definitely being looked at in so many different ways, uh, coupled with some of the new modern technology from cybersecurity, uh, mission operational performance enhancements and those type of things. So we're looking at how do we leverage IoT to really be progressive and to really move the, uh, the organization forward.
0: Are, are there any types of of IOT devices that you're finding are, are more suitable for some of the things that you guys are working on and, and how does data play into um, your choices around deploying these?
1: Yeah, we haven't really, we haven't really looked at it from that angle just yet um, because again, we're, we're capability agnostic within the, within the organization. So, so we just try to find what is the best fit. However, we haven't identified or, or you know, determined X capability is the best at this point. However, as it pertains to data, again, our main objective is to be able to provide the end user or rather meet the end user where they are through the power of data. Um, Because ultimately, as data being that of our weapon system, we have to empower our end users to be as informed as they can, meaning with data that is of quality, that is effective, and that is real time. So so with that being said, data is ingrained in our very fiber and our being. So we have to be able to share that information and be effective with getting it to the hands of our end users. Again, meeting them where they are. So in every capability we deploy, in every concept we uh, we begin to study and 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 implement, we keep data at the forefront of everything we do.
0: Something I was really curious about. I know when when you and I were were speaking on a panel um, earlier in the summer. You started talking about uh, a program you're working on, exploring what the base of the future could look like or the installation of the future. Could you uh, give our listeners a little glimpse into kind of some of the things that you're looking at as you as you explore kind of what this looks like?
1: Yeah, so we are we're more in a in an assisted role, um, you know. But when you think about bases of the of the future, how how can we be attractive or how can we attract, um, you know, in the modern times, be able to provide users with some of the same look and feel? that you would if you would like go to a, um, you know, whether that's a hotel or, or something like that, really ensuring that our bearers of the future are enabled with the right technology and qu- equipped with the right technology, properly secured, but gives you that ability to be able to plug in, um, plug into the world when needed versus um, some of the, the legacy constructs and methodologies that are out there. So there's a lot being done in that space. And, and I know, especially from an Army perspective, we are leaning forward, looking at those bearer concepts of a future of the future. Um, so it's a lot being done in that space, but from an IT perspective, we are here to to kind of support and provide that uh that IT perspective, helping the organization
0: evolve. So we're looking
1: at a lot of things from a modernization perspective to
0: really lean forward. How does it change when you're looking at things domestically versus is when you go outside of the, of the U.S.? Is it obviously it adds a level of complexity? But what are some of those complexities that you have to think about?
1: Well, um, I mean it's not really complex so much complexities. It's just more so being able to adapt. Um, because, again, some places, when you look at it from an IT perspective, how do things fit in? And there are different, sometimes there may be different laws, rules, regulations that you have to adapt to. Um, so we just look at the the, the full essence of, of capability and solution delivery, working around the various policies, laws, doctrine in and, and various areas, CONUS as well as OCONUS. Um, so that's just how we begin to look at things, starting off with the bases and the foundation. Um, because again, the IT doesn't necessarily change, but the, the laws and the, how you deliver those and the things that you look for do. So those are some of the things we, we begin to take pay close attention to.
0: Are there any more kind of more future forward projects like this that, that you guys are working on right now?
1: Um, at the moment, I'm not quite sure uh, it doesn't nothing comes to mind specifically that would be probably of interest to the, to the larger organization, or larger body.
0: So I appreciate the time, Devarious. I, I want to give you a, a chance to provide any final thoughts you have for the audience before we wrap up. Um,
1: yeah, no, just in context uh, within the Corps of Engineers, you know, we have a lot going on. Uh, we are leaning forward in, in technology and modernization. Definitely have a lot of opportunities uh, where we can definitely look to partner as well as to grow and enhance. Um, definitely looking at doing things in a in a agile manner, um, in an excellent manner, but keeping in mind delivering to the end user especially in areas such as cybersecurity, uh, program management, uh, project delivery, customer focus areas. Um, We are really looking at running USACE as a business from an IT perspective. And the goal is to deliver on time within schedule on in budget um, at at a high and exceptional level. That's all I have. And thank you for the opportunity to be able to showcase some of the uh, excellent things that the
0: Army Corps of Engineers is doing in support of the nation. Thank you. Of course, and Devarius, thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it. Awesome, thank you. This has been the Government Huddle Podcast. You can check out more episodes of the show by heading over to gmarku.com or wherever you access your podcasts. Please feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn or on Twitter at ChittestrayB. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye for now.